Okay, well, uh, we are now on our, what is it, third? Third or fourth session? I think it's our fourth. I think it's got to be our fourth, right? We did an intro, we did chapter one, we did chapter one, and then we're doing chapter one again. Um, But yeah, all, all, like, obviously uh, for a reason. So let's continue. Uh, We're off where we left off, but as we do every single week, we're going to read from our Bibles. Um, And so let's read John 1 again. And I don't know if this will be the last time we read John 1, but at this point, or like for those of you who've been like here every week, like John 1 should be like, I mean, you should be a master of John 1 at this point. You could probably sum it up, right? But let's read it. Two verses each. Let's see how well we could do this week. Uh, I will start, and we'll go in Alex's direction. Two verses each. Um, Again, there might be some variation in translations, so feel it. Okay, I will begin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is a man sent from God whose name is John. came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, gave the right to become children of God. Um, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Finally he said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now John, oh, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who is in the is the one who comes after me, whose cap of his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This will happen in judgment, and the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John see, seeth Jesus coming unto him, and say, said, Behold the Lamb of God, which take, taketh away the sin of the w- world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not recognize him, but till that he must be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, 
and he remained a friend. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus took Oh, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip was Andrew and Peter. They turned around and said, Um, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Seth unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is already our third, maybe fourth time reading this first chapter. Uh, we'll pray, and then I would love to hear uh, a quick recap of some things we've been learning uh, from those kind of been with us from the beginning, and then maybe some new insights or some other thoughts that have come up uh, as our talks and our discussion has advanced in this first chapter. I hope you're learning. That would be fantastic. But uh, on that note, let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for this time. We thank you for just um, the wonderful um, brothers and sisters here who are um, eager to learn and hunger for your word. We ask, O oh Lord, that we uh, would be, um, of course, alert and um, just conscious of what it, there is in this text. But we also are aware, of course, of our own minds, our own senses when we are unable to truly grasp and fathom the entire magnitude of scripture. We ask, O oh Lord, that the truth contained within would be revealed to us by the power of your spirit, uh, not by our own strength that we are able to find these things and discover these things, uh, but by the illumination of the spirit in us that that uh, truth and light would be revealed to us. We thank you, God, for your word and uh, bless us in the conversations, discussions that will ensue this evening. We pray all this in your name we pray. Well, brothers and sisters, John 1, once again. So, for those who have been with us, hello, Richard. Hello, Richard. What's up, dude? Hey, so, 
for those who have been with us, what are some things you can share with? Uh, by the way, this is this is Eunjung. Um, she was, used to be a student of mine at U of T. Interesting to be at the wedding. Play piano, so she's <laughs> amazing. Very close friends with like me, Joy, Christina, etc. So she's like our own. She's one of us, if you will. Um, but yeah, I got to meet her this week, and uh, she wanted to check out our Bible study, so that's fantastic. Let me quickly introduce everyone, since you, I mean it's obviously a lot of new faces. Right? Alex, Jet, Jet's sister Aria, Jet's girlfriend Sasha. Though she is her own person, Rebecca, <laughs> and you know Corey, and then Richard. Richard's the best. Richard's built for the, yeah, the, the Pentecostal. And then Kim Jong. Okay. So John, what have we learned, and what are some? So let's start first and foremost. Um, what's the thesis of John? The Gospel. Twenty thirty thirty one. John twenty thirty thirty one. What does it read there? Uh, something about Jesus not performing many other signs in the mm -hmm. presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. These mm -hmm. are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by you believing, you may have life in his name. Right. So John gives us his own commentary, his own intention of writing this gospel in John 20. Uh, we are told that he writes, of course, out of the many different things that could have been recorded. He selects a few things. Uh, in this gospel to be recorded for the purpose of the reader's belief in Jesus as Son of God, right? So Son of God language is going to be really uh, important and sort of forefront in a lot of things. We see it, of course, present obviously like immediately in the first chapter as well. Uh, what other things have we learned so far? What about some imagery? What images have we seen? So we talked about certain images that are constantly running thematically throughout the Gospel of John. What are some of those images we've already observed or talked about? The different, the light and darkness. Right, light versus darkness, and that amazing contrast, right? What else? The word becoming flesh. Word, became, word becoming flesh, right? The logos, the idea of the logos. Um, we talked about uh, the roots of that and why John would be responding to some of the cultural trends of his, of his time, um, and then really adapting that, and then really representing it to his audience for his time, I guess, his contextual time um, that really presents the truth, right? This, this is the truth that you are seeking, right? He fills those holes for them, if you will. Um, and yes, so absolutely, the word becoming flesh, uh, the nature of that word as well, of course, is very important. Uh, anything else? What are some other images, imagery we have seen? We've <coughs> touched on water, but we never... Right, it hasn't appeared yet, but we've touched on it. Uh, John 1, do we see water? Mm -hmm. Where? Uh, yeah, baptism, right? Immediately, we get from the very beginning. Um, Jordan River, Jesus is there. The first instance, of course, is, is baptism. And, uh, of course, the key image of all baptism really is, like, the symbol, if you will, is water, right? So water is going to be a running theme. And uh, I've already given you a little bit of preview on that. Anything else? Ascending and descending imagery. Yeah, the ascension and descension language as well as that imagery is present. Um, it's probably a minor one, but it's definitely something that we were go we are going to draw on the at the very end of the first chapter. And uh, I would love to hear your thoughts when we get there. I'm sure Alex has some thoughts because Alex is thinking. But um, anything else? People like pointing every direction, but couldn't 
Yes, the witness of Christ, right? If the whole point of God's, of God's John's gospel is uh, that those who read and hear would believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God, right? And that he truly came, he truly was man, truly is God, right? Then um, what we find here, of course, is that everyone in this entire narrative plays the role of witnessing, witnessing Christ, right? So as we point, or as the people of God point people to Christ, Christ then points people to God, right? There's this incredible um, witnessing that is happening. And, and we see that language constantly throughout. So who's the first prominent figure we see as the witness of Christ? J.B. <laughs> J.B., yeah. John the Baptist, right? Uh, so John the Baptist first person. We see this incredible parallel. We see, of course, the sandwiching of John throughout Jesus' narrative. We see that beginning was a word and then all of a sudden it's like John and then there was this man who was sent from God his name was John and then all of a sudden it switches back in verse 14 the word became flesh and then all of a sudden it switches back to John right and then he was there's this man who was baptizing and then these, these messengers are sent on behalf of the uh, of the of the priests and the Levites and they're like hey so like who are you right like <laughs> where'd you come from and we talked about some of that and uh, what did we say about John's answer in verse 20 that is uh, very interesting it's not direct it's not direct and his answer itself is compelling why or worth noting why he makes sure that the listener mm -hmm. knows that he's not the Christ yes right his adamant cry is I am not Christ um, and there is one who is coming who is greater than me right so he's a pointer so if someone were to ask you, hey, Corey, who are you? It'd be really weird for you to say, I am not Richard. It's a weird answer. Um, so when he's asked, who are you? Instead of saying, instead of just getting to, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, or I am a messenger of God, I'm here to point people to the Messiah, to the Christ that is to come, or whoever, or the one who's coming after me, right? We talked about that, but at the same time, he makes clear to them why, why would John include that? Because he knows that people would confuse John to be these things, to be Elijah the prophet, to be, um, you know, the Messiah, if you will. And to have these misunderstandings, there is only one who is the Christ, and that is, of course, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, anything else that we should just quickly recap before we move on? That was, what else did we touch on? We touched on the oh. Pharisees, right? What did we learn about the Pharisees last week? I know I went on like an entire like rant for like, I, li I re-listened to the Bible study. It was like, I think it was a good 40 minutes of just historical rant on like where the Pharisees came from. Um, what did we get out of that? Well, at the point of thriving, yeah. they're a corrupt group of people. Sure, right. But they were formed because there was a need for local churches yeah, I mean, I think the Pharisees got to get, and deservingly so, a bad rep uh, in the New Testament because, of course, Jesus harshly rebukes them. There's something clearly wrong with him. They're constantly contrasted with what is good, right? Um, and they're told not to do certain things, but they're, and they're challenged by Jesus. And they're always like, and they're the ones, of course, that lead to Jesus' death, essentially, right? So there is obviously, like, a bad rep that is uh, well-deserved, if you will. But at the same time, we can't forget historically that they are uh, really products of a nation that was seeking to 
like reform themselves, like to be faithful to God, right? To be obedient to the word, to be obedient to scripture. And that was their intention. So starting with good intentions leading to bad results, right? Um, I always, I don't want to joke about it, but I, I mean, that's the danger of sometimes being reformed, right? That we could easily be tempted as third intentions, mm-hmm. right? And we need to be cautious of that. Yeah. Right? Just because you're pursuing truth and just because you're pursuing, uh, like you have a good intention, doesn't mean the method by which you do so or the or the practice of what you're doing is always good. Right? It can be bad. Right? So again, um, yeah, we talked about that. Really critical thing we talked about last week in that sort of historical rant that I was giving is what is the expectation of the Second Temple Jews so at this time when Jesus is incarnating second temple Judaism because it's the second reconstructed temple and it's Judaism of this time under Roman uh, rule what is their expectation of the Messiah of the Christ to free them from the Romans yes right so they're seeking not a savior of like from sin they're seeking a savior from exile right they're seeking like a Davidic king if you will who will conquer their Goliath, their Rome, so that Israel will be reestablished as a nation and that temple uh, practice and faith will be once again restored in Israel. Because they're basically looking at like the good old days, right? And they're going, oh, if only we could be back in the good old days and we had the Ark of the Covenant and everything was blessed, right? <coughs> of course, you read the Old Testament, you realize not everything was blessed. But anyways, they look back on that and like, that's where we need to get back to when God was talking to us when he was sending us prophets when he was giving us kings when we were having this interaction uh, we were the people of God if you will right um, this was something they wanted why because two monumental things promised land and the temple those things have to be restored right in order for Israel to feel like Israel so they're expecting the Christ to come and basically lead like a revolution like a war essentially and that's why we talked about why the disciples might have been so on board they were essentially radical terrorists if you will to some degree where they were ready to go to war with Jesus of Nazareth yeah. right um, so there are a lot of different uh, there's a lot of contextual things um, at the time of the incarnation that uh, produced some of the conversations and results that we see recorded for us in the Gospels and when you have that historical understanding and that backdrop you then understand why certain people are responding a certain way. If that makes sense, right? Okay, I think that catches us up to everything. Uh, Let's read on and try to get this chapter done today. Um, Verse 24, we pause when we read, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Who's the they that had been sent? Who's the text referring to there in verse 24? The priests and Levites. Priests and Levites who are coming on behalf as messengers of the, the Pharisees. Pharisees. Uh, and they're essentially asking John the Baptist, who are you? Um, what would be the, like, we talked about, like, some uh, wrong intentions that could potentially exist on the end of the Pharisees in bringing questioners to John the Baptist. Um, they could genuinely, of course, like faithfully be seeking the Christ, but at the same time, John the Baptist is doing something that is clearly not like, like I guess, orthodox practice in Judaism in terms of baptism. So they're asking, like, like, wh- sure, they're asking, like, why are you doing this? But they're also asking, like, 
who are you to be doing this? Right? Like, are you challenging us? Like, are you saying we're wrong about something? Like, are you, like, are we going to be like, not homies here? Like, is this going to be trouble? Um, and so you can see that there's a little bit of tension, like, that's contained within the conversation itself, right? Because, I mean, otherwise, you would see the Pharisees themselves maybe personally going to them, to John the Baptist and having, a, a, like, a, like, a good conversation. Instead, they're just like, who are you? So, they asked him and said to him, verse 25, if you're not these things, so if you're not the Christ, right, and you're not Elijah, and you're not a prophet, which are all, like, you know, people that the Pharisees would be like, okay, like, maybe those, are, that's essentially saying those are the three things that you can be that would make you more authoritative than us. Yeah, you have to be the Christ, or you have to be Elijah the prophet, like, reincarnate, or you gotta be uh, a prophet, like a modern day prophet sent from God, like to speak to us, right? If you ain't one of these three things, like yield yourself to us, right? Like submit, right? Um, cease and desist, if you will, right? Uh, why then are you baptizing, they ask, if you are not the Christ nor like another prophet? And before we read John's answer in verse 26, let me ask you, why is John baptizing? Why is John the Baptist baptizing people? We know that baptism is symbolic for rebirth in Christ. Mm -hmm. Rebirth as God's children. Okay. And because Christ is coming, mm -hmm. we need to cleanse ourselves. Okay. Okay. I like I like where this is going. Others. Why would you, why do you think John is, is baptizing? Because I think it's a valid question. Like, why are you doing this thing that none of us do? And who are you? <laughs> like, why are you doing this and who are you? Right? What do you think? to 34 okay what does it read it says this is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me I myself do not know him but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel then John gave his testimony I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him and I myself did not know him but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Mm. I've seen him. I testify that this is God's church. Interesting. So what does that tell you? <laughs> Very interesting. I like what Jet's doing here, though. He's applying our confession study where he's uh, appealing to Scripture as his infallible word that validates the rest of Scripture <laughs> gives it to me. Thank you. Thank you for applying all point nine for us today. Um, others, why do you think John the Baptist is baptizing? I don't know uh, if I don't know the reason why specifically John is baptizing, but okay. the reason maybe why he's baptizing is because it's like a foreshadow of like Jesus baptizing with the Spirit. Ah, interesting. Very nice. Yes, very, very good. And I mean, we know the reason why 
we know that John is special. John is special in the sense that he is specially called to this task, to be a messenger of the prayers of the living Lord, in the spirit of um, of Elijah, right? Like, or like in the words of Isaiah, but in the spirit of Elijah the prophet, right? He prepares, he proclaims the way of like the Lord is coming, right? What is like sort of John's when we look at the other gospels? Like, let's just go through for a second. What do we see as his sort of core message? Like John the Baptist's message to the people that are coming and like crowding around him. What is his basic message to them? Christ is coming. Repent and believe. Right? And if we had to sort of sum up the ministry of Christ as well, and maybe the prophets, we're gonna go to Malachi starting like two weeks from now. We go to Malachi and we read the minor prophets, we read the major prophets. What's the basic message or that we see? Or when we did judges, like before first Corinthians. What was the message to God's people or to people in general? Well, it's not too different from John's message, is it? It's repent and believe. Turn away from sin, right? Well, how many times do you hear Jesus that kills someone and goes, now stop sinning, now sin no more. Turn, like, turn away from your sins, right? And believe. There's a belief component to this. And of course, the, the belief language is prominent in the Gospel of John, right? Um, this is uh, very interesting what Corey has just shared with us that he says the baptism of water right, is a symbolic precursor or foreshadow uh, and pointing towards the baptism of Christ and the Holy Spirit so let me ask you what is, what, is, what is that Like we know what baptism in water looks like it's physical exactly what that event looks like right but what does baptism in the Holy Spirit look like or what is that how would you describe that to somebody washing away sins like being born again ah okay so washing away of sin and being born again right so like Baptists literally immerse people in water the death to sin coming out of the water living a new life right I'd be more than willing to like throw you in water if you want. Um, <laughs> uh, one day. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Especially your babies. Like, bring your babies. I'll definitely dunk them in water if you want. Um, I might get arrested. But anyway, so that's like uh, that's a thing, right? So yeah, that's interesting that you say that, right? So John the Baptist is baptizing in water, right? And then you have a baptism in this Holy Spirit. And John himself, John the Baptist, says, this is the one, talking about Jesus Christ, who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. That's really interesting. That there's a connector between the two. It's, I think it's really important that we understand this. Or at least we are alert to what the text is telling us, right? Um... What else? Any other thoughts on John baptizing? Because, yep. It says here, like, in Luke 3, verse 3, and he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, mm. as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Yes, yes, right? 
So again, we can look to other parts of scripture and we see uh, a little bit more detail about the ministry of John the Baptist. I mean, he's John the Baptist, right? He's, that's, that seems to be the main thing he's doing, right? Of course, he's also probably uh, teaching and doing other things as well. But the main sort of thing that he's known to have been doing is, is baptizing to the point where he's known as John the Baptist. And so uh, that act must be really important. And then we're told here in verse 23 that he is a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So he's a messenger who is preparing the way of the Lord, right? As you go to the Isaiah text, what it tells us about that, and there's a whole meaning to that. So he's preparing the way of the Lord by doing this act of baptism, and this act of baptism is but a foreshadow of the ultimate baptism that Christ will offer, and only he alone can offer, Spirit. How does this all connect for you? Is it starting to like formulate the puzzle pieces are coming together, Sasha? Mm -hmm. Does it emphasize the need for cleansing in the first place? Absolutely. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah, the necessity of cleansing and, and repentance, of course, and turning away of sin. Uh, but what else? I think uh, the sort of small contrast between like like the symbolic part of like washing with the water uh -huh. um, that's just kind of like a s symbol of like new life and all that stuff right but internally when you're um, born again and you have the spirit in you it's like a inward like you know you have an external and you have like inward like yeah. transformation kind of like like an inward transformation right so um, and then in uh, John 3, I know like we're not there yet or whatever, but yeah. um, when okay. Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, yes. Nicodemus kept asking, right? Like, oh, can I re-enter my mother's womb? Like, what are you talking about? Like, water and <laughs> spirit, right? And then in yes. uh, John <laughs> 3, 5, Jesus says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay. So there's that water spirit language again. When we get to John 3, yeah. in like 10 weeks from now, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but when we get to John 3, we'll definitely be able to discuss that in more detail, right? But there's some, yeah, go ahead, Richard. I, I think um, the basic function of water is like cleansing. So basic function of Christ's blood is to cleanse us from the guilt of sin, right? right. To remove that penalty. Um, so yeah, I think straight the way of the Lord is actually like just pointing forward to um, the most important cleansing, not, not the symbolic but yeah and yeah. let me again like in a lot of these things you just change like you take the, a similar wording and you just change some of the elements to fully and you can fully grasp what it's what it's saying because sometimes you don't hear the tone of, of what they're saying until you put it into like a situation that makes sense to you so for example use softball as an example so uh, i'm batting first and mccoy's batting after me right and i go like oh i will bat and i will bat well and it will the ball will go over there but there's one greater than i who is coming who's whose little strap on his uh cleat <laughs> i am not worthy to untie <laughs> he will wield a hammer that will thru thrust this ball beyond all measure 
it is like what I do. But what is John really saying about the Christ and his work and his baptism? That it is is far greater. What is John doing by saying that? What did they just ask him? They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet? He answers them, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. And he goes on and continues. What is he saying? Remember the first question? Who are you? I am not these things. I am simply one who is preparing the way of this person who you actually should be seeking. You, you shouldn't even be bothered with me. <laughs> like, who am I that you even come to ask me who I am, right? And then the question is, well, then why are you baptizing? Why are you doing this thing, right? We're curious. And his response is still what? What did I say about the first chapter? It's all about John pointing to Christ. What is he doing here by saying this? He's pointing them to Christ again. It's, it's, it's so obvious when you just kind of know that. And then you read it, right? So read it again. They asked him, why are you baptizing? If you're not Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. 26, he answers them, I baptize in water. Again, water has a clean, cleansing function. You know the purification rituals that existed in Judaism of the time. We get there, of course, later in the wedding in Cana in chapter 2. But he's saying, like, hey, like, I'm doing this thing, and it's insignificant to what's about to happen. Because there's someone greater than me who will do greater work than I, who will not just, like, put water on you, but the thing that I'm doing, he will fulfill it to its nth degree. It will be an infinite cleansing for you. We see this constantly throughout. Another great example is John 4 when we get there. Remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well? She comes to drink water, and we know water is a necessity of life. It, it functions, it literally must be consumed in order for you to survive. Water is a, ne- a necessary component of human life, right? The human life, of course, is not infinite. And what Jesus' response to her, even in his own thirst, and her clear thirst, and her desire to have water, he says, I can offer you water that will cease your thirst. You will never thirst again. It's living water. So you just see, like, constantly in John, like, here's this thing, and you think it's so cool, but there's Jesus, and he's going to do the infinite maximum version of these things. Like, here's John baptizing, and it's so cool, right? And his message is great. Whatever you think of John, and if it's positive, Jesus is so much infinitely greater more than this mere mortal will ever be. Right? And so you have a pointer to Christ in verse 23. In this response, you have a pointer to Christ in verses 26 to 27. It is he who comes after me. The thong of the sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was. Of course, talked about in the Gospel of John, one of the key features of the literature is what? The time stamps and the geographical stamps. Right? That John constantly gives us time movement and displacement or movement of geography and it makes it easy to map out and time everything that's happening or timeline everything any questions so far I think it's also worth noting Mm -hmm. that John the Baptist was considered widely 
by many um, a holy man. Yes. And him saying that, oh, I'm so worthless in front of mm-hmm. Jesus. Yes. Um, but also, you see his yeah. yielding and submission to Christ, mm-hmm. right? Who he himself has not yet met until this instant that we're about to read, right? It's unbelievable. Like, it's really cool. Verse 29. The next day, so day has gone by apparently, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Okay, brothers and sisters, I have to ask this question. How did he know? Because he says here, what does he say in verse, what is his proclamation of this person that is approaching him? Behold the Lamb of God. Why is that fascinating? He can just recognize Christ. He can just recognize Christ. What else? No suspicion. Okay, no suspicion. Yeah. What else? Immediate submission. Immediate submission. Okay. What was your question? What, like, his response in verse 29, Mm -hmm. right? What does it, what does he tell you? Like, what, what information do we get from that? What can we extract from that verse? Oh, that is Yes, yeah, Richard. I think an uh, interesting verse is 33. Mm-hmm. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I think some people interpret this as, I'm not saying this is infallible, but this might not have, because you know the first time Jesus, John actually baptizes Jesus. Yes. So this could actually have happened after, like exactly, when Jesus yeah. got his 40-day temptation yeah. in the desert. So he's cut, he came back because yeah. he said, upon whom you see the Spirit descending. So the Spirit oh, descending already right. happened, yes. right? Yeah, yes, so this yes, must yes. be a second time that um, John is seeing him. Right, because yeah. in verse 28, it says, these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Yeah. We see in the other Gospels, Gospels an instance Gospels when he was baptizing yeah. Jesus yeah. in the crowd. He asked for baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that moment, John says, John realizes like, oh, like, I sh- you should be baptizing me. Why are you asking me to baptize you? So uh, we're missing some of that dialogue and that interaction between Jesus and John that is filled for us in the other Gospels and the Synoptics. But what did we say in our introduction? By the time John is writing his Gospel, what is already in massive circulation in the church? The other Gospels. So he doesn't have to reiterate a lot of those things that are already like is well known by the audience of his own gospel. So John is written after the synoptics? Yes, it is the latter most written gospel, yeah. John is probably the last of the New Testament authors, actually, I would say. He lived the longest out of the 12 disciples and last to die. And obviously Revelation is clearly like on Patmos, which is way later in his life. Yeah. Just it's just it's incredible the insight that he has. Like we get the mark like so early on, like literally decades after Christ's ministry, and then you have like John, like probably like a century almost after, right? So it's it's quite amazing uh, to get that sort of entire glimpse. Um, So I would say so. When we get the next day language, we're we need to assume something has occurred in that twenty-four hour span, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it be twenty-four hours, another. 
story, but at least from sunrise to sunset, or sunrise to sunrise to sunrise, something has happened, right? The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him, but this is not um, a situation, at least, uh, at least in John's gospel, where it appears that Jesus is seeking baptism, right? We don't get any hint of that. Now, when, when we have already read the synoptics, we assume that to be the case. This is their first interaction. Jesus is seeking baptism. Oh, this is just a reiteration of those narratives. But that doesn't seem to be the case. He seems to have had this sequence have already happened where the dove has uh, descended on him. And, of course, we see in the other Gospels, declaration of the heavens open up. This is my son whom I love, right? We see that all in the other synoptics. John has recognized this, and he says, behold. But what does he tell people to behold? The Lamb of God. Why is that language interesting? Like, you could have said so many things here. You could have said, Christ, Messiah, the King, the Son of God language. Like, all, all of these other titles. Why Lamb of God? It's sacrificial. Yes. Why, what does he indicate in this declaration of, of Christ? He says, Behold... <laughs> Lamb of God, so he gives him the title, and then what? Yes, right? So obviously, like, uh, he has gone through, I think he would have an understanding of the divine nature of Christ, but yes. Um, they should also refer to him as the Lamb of God to kind of emphasize his purity. Because in order purity? To make oh, yeah. Lamb, wow, that's, a, that's actually a thought I didn't have, mm -hmm. but that would make sense too. Because, right, yes, absolutely, yeah, for sure. Right, because the, the lamb that would be sacrificed on behalf of the sinners would have to be pure. So the purity of this being, so this very, like, abnormal, if you will, right, entity uh, or nature to Christ. But what is, what is being highlighted to us? The title is Lamb of God, and then the? Yeah, and what is that? His sacrifice is yeah. for our sins. Yeah. So I think uh, maybe the reason why he's uh, using the Lamb of God instead of like all other like titles mm -hmm. is because like he's telling them that he needs Jesus needs to be sacrificed in order to take away our sins. For sure, right? But think about it. If you're introducing this person as the Christ, the one who is your Savior, right, for the very first time, right, and this is John, the author now writing the words of John the Baptist, declaring these things, and this is the first declaration, like this is the first behold statement that John will make about this Christ, this person Jesus. Is it not interesting to you that this is the first title and the first statement John the Baptist makes, and John the author is making through John the Baptist? What is he saying about Jesus? the one they've been speaking of. This is the guy who died for us. Well, what do we say about the expectations of the coming Christ? They are to be what? Oh, the... For, to the Jews? Yeah. Um, like a king, but not just any king, like a warrior. Warrior. Like a fighter, right? A champion, mm -hmm. like hero of heroes. Mm -hmm. They're waiting for, like, 
Captain America to show up <laughs> and end this war mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. Rome, right? Jesus, as the apocalyptic borderlands will bring judgment and universal victory. Uh-huh. And John also writes this in Revelation. Yes. But instead, the title John the author uses, and John the Baptist used, was this is the Lamb of God. Yeah. And he is, yeah. I, I think um, because this is a, a Jewish crowd, like, because there's the yearly Lamb, the Passover Lamb, and there's multiple lambs sacrificed throughout the year. So the word lamb has like so m- it doesn't mean much to us. We don't mm-hmm. see lambs everywhere in Toronto. But for um, the Jews I love lambs. <laughs> the Jews, the, the Passover, which is huge, the, the daily sacrifices, mm-hmm. and automatically they're thinking about sacrifice, death, yes. and, and cleansing of sin, right? So for them it would have been a real red light to hear the word lamb. That's not yeah. something that we don't see, but they definitely right. were like and the function of his ministry, his life and ministry, that he will fulfill. The main thing he will do for you and I is, yeah, we, I mean, the suffering is assumed in the title Lamb of God, but is what? The main thing he'll do for you, yeah, is be a sacrifice. To do what? To accomplish what for us? Yeah. It's not take free you from Rome. It's not take back your land and territory and promised land and all that stuff. It's not so that you can feel better about yourself and have, like, you know, other things on this earth, like all these earthly things that you're seeking. He will take away the sin of the world by being the Lamb of God. That is astonishing that that is the proclamation of Christ's coming. Right? It's, it's really astounding to me how this gets even lost in our contemporary Christian mind that this is not the primary accomplishment of Christ's life and ministry a lot of times we seek Christ for everything else but this thing (laughs) (laughs) make my life better I want a better job I want this I want that right and of course we get we just leak ourselves right into prosperity gospel yeah yeah astounding to me and then everything you know the seven wonders and the seven I, I am statements that are to follow the seven wonders resolve seven earthly things like temporary earthly situations that are circumstantially unfortunate right it could be hunger it could be blindness it could be deafness it could be paralyzed it could be whatever but in every instance the pointer is back to sin no more right this is Critical, like John wants us, both Johns, in cohesion, want us to know this. Absolutely. He is the Lamb of God who will take your sins away. That's why in our gospel presentation, if you don't have this, it's really not a gospel presentation. Okay, so verse 30. This is he on behalf of whom I said. I love this continually, like submission to God, his will, his his calling upon his life, his service of the Lord, right? His language is always that. It's very interesting. After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. And then we get it again. Remember we read this before? Where he existed before me. Why, why did we say that's odd? Because he, because John the Baptist says he existed before me, but he came after me. Yeah, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, he's always existed. He's always been there. 
he would come after me. What do you think about you? <laughs> right? Like, um, it's of course that just identifies to us what that Jesus is God. Yeah, that there's a divine nature to Christ mm-hmm. as well, right? That He is truly God, truly man. That those two things cannot be um, separated or compartmentalized. That we must understand the person of Christ to be truly man, truly God, always. Right? Sure, He came after in the sense of incarnation but he always existed right the word became flesh john 14 the word was god and was with god and was all is god right so we can't lose fact of that or uh, we can't lose that understanding verse 31 i did not recognize him so again i think that appeals to the first instance they met he did not recognize christ immediately as the christ like jesus as the christ immediately but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. So what does he say about his work of baptism? What is he telling us there? But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. What is John saying? Israelites know what's to come like he was there to do this act that like foreshadows what sure absolutely yeah I mean he's setting the ground he's paving the way if you will right so that when this person comes there is clear understanding of what John's ministry was pointing towards and that of course is Christ and his ministry I think 31 it seems kind of odd to me mm-hmm. um John the Baptist says, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Mm -hmm. But that kind of sounds like if he didn't baptize with water, Jesus will not be revealed to Israel. Yeah, absolutely. I was hoping someone would bring this up. It could sound like the the condition to people being revealed to Jesus is John's ministry. Um, But I think what we see in the grand scheme of redemptive history as well as the mission like the missio day like the work of god in the world to bring sinners into his presence and belief is despite the sinner and the usage usage of such people uh, that they are means that god uses as instruments of declaring proclaiming declaring and heralding that message so that people can be open to that uh, to that truth so we could say for example like if Ananias did not like pray over Paul, like with the scales have fallen from his eyes and they wouldn't be able to see it, like are these things conditional things, or is God really in control of all things to manifest those results? It's not conditional on those things or those persons and their works, but it's God using those persons and their works to to be a part of the narrative of uh, of I think the illumination that. So he's not saying that Israel will be blind to Christ unless John the Baptist baptizes in water. I don't think that's the statement, right? That would be a stretch, I think, right? And I don't think, I mean, what we've read so far, I don't think it indicates to us that John has that kind of arrogance in him or, or desire to even be recognized in that manner, right? I think his point is God has sent me and he's using me to do this thing, but it's not even about me doing this thing and it's not about me in doing this thing. It's really about me doing this thing as a process, as part of the process of this Christ coming and being revealed to Israel. I hope that made sense. Yeah. 
Um, any other comments on that? Because that's a very interesting verse, I think, we're sitting there. So we're starting to see the importance of John baptizing, and baptizing in water, right? And, he, and, and John, the author, continuously emphasizes that John's baptism is baptizing in water. And it's going to continuously be contrasted and differentiated from Christ's ministry and his baptism in the Holy Spirit, right, which is far greater. Right? Verse 32, John testified, saying, do you see all of a sudden how the language is now changed to John has testifying now? Right? I mean, I asked Alex to do a testimony this coming Sunday, and he was, ask, he was asking, like, what's a testimony? This might help you. Um, <laughs> I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. Right? So we've got to assume that that instance of John baptizing Jesus. By the way, that's super street cred, right? If you, if you baptize Jesus. Like, <laughs> right? like, there's one man on earth that can say, I baptize the Son of God. Right? Like, that's crazy. Right? I can only imagine how cool that must be. But anyways, he... <laughs> um, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. So he saw this happen at some point. I did not recognize him. So prior to this event, he did not recognize him as being the Christ, of course. But he who sent me, who is the one that sent John the Baptist, we have been told, is God himself. We know this again when we appeal to the other uh, synoptic gospels, the story behind John's birth, his miraculous birth, as well as the events leading to uh, so John the Baptist being sent by God, he who sent me, so that's... And the he who sent me language is very important. Take note of that, because Jesus is going to echo those same words over and over again, too. He who sent me, he who sent me. That, that will come up again, okay? Uh, he who sent me to baptize in water said to me. So here's this really interesting thing that John is saying. John is saying there is communication that is happening uh, from God's end um, to him uh, in regards to this coming Christ. He's received this communication. He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So we get this really short sort of testimony, if you will. Like he's on, he's in a courtroom, he's kind of giving his testimonial. This is what happened, this is what I've seen, this is what I heard, and this is what I know, <laughs> right? And he's giving his thing. What do you see in this, in this little testify, testimonial of John the Baptist? We've already touched on it a little bit, right? It helped to unlock some of the things prior, but what do you see in it as you read that? John is able to see signs from God that indicate that this man, Jesus, is Christ. Okay. When I have to say even signs, we might, we might even go as far as to say um, John is being told directly from God these things. Right? I mean, the specificity of what he was told is quite remarkable. I would have to assume it would have to be specific instruction. It, it can't just simply be like a, a sign. Oh, it must be a dove that must rest on him. Send or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's clearly communication happening on God's end towards John the Baptist, which is extraordinary. Why? Why is that extraordinary? 
God can even be done backwards. Why is that extraordinary? Because Jews think that they've been um, disconnected from God. Yes. God's been so silent, right? Since the end of the Old Testament era, God, they went into uh, exile, and their punishment was silence from God. Right? There were no more prophets, no more messengers, no more nothing, no more God like sending this judge or that king or this person or that or appointing this person to do this. He just went silent on them. And so, of course, all the things we talked about were birthed and developed. And here, all of a sudden, New Testament, boom, John the Baptist burst this holy man on the scene, and boom, he has communication with God. Right? So all of a sudden, that communication line has been reestablished. Did they go to hell, like those uh, OT Jews? Like that, the, the Old Egbert, Testament yeah, Jews? Yeah, the exiled ones? The exiled like in the time of the exile? Yeah. Like all of them? Or like, yeah. I, I mean, I can't say that for certainty. Right? Is it assumed that they did? I don't think so. I don't think anyone assumes they all collectively went to hell. Mm-hmm. Or will go to hell, sorry. Because if it's like God's silent and then you just like die of old age or whatever, then what happens? Uh, no, I mean, they still have the text. Old Testament yeah. was preserved. They had the teachings preserved. Um, they had teachers, mm-hmm. right, that were being developed. Like, I mean, the rabbinic system was clearly at play at the time of Jesus' coming. The temple was still uh, functional, so sacrifices were being made. Mm. Adherence to law and code was clear; like word was being studied, memorized. So they had like everything that they needed. They had everything that they needed. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because in the Old Testament, um, people were saved not by like just by listening to the Messiah. But right. Yeah. So because the text of Maccabees was already there, like the text, Old Testament text, all pointed to the Messiah. Right. So the true Jews, the ones who had true faith in Yahweh would also have true faith in the Messiah. So Absolutely. I remember Steve Lawson kind of saying that, like, how were the people in the OT like saved? It's like more we, dispensational. We, we, I think we all like they they believed in the coming Messiah. Okay, we believed yeah, in the Messiah yeah. that yeah, was already yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. then we all meet at the foot of the cross. Yes, got it, got it. Yes, 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 I think that's what he said. Mm-hmm. So I'll yes. get that again. Thank you. <laughs> but even in exile, when God is silent, right, right doesn't mean that God's word is silent. Mm-hmm. Right, God's word is still. <laughs> Is there? It's in front of you, right? <laughs> he's only gone silent audibly, right, yeah, in the right. sense of how he spoke to the prophets. Like the prophets were able to confidently say, "Thus says the Lord," right, mm-hmm. and then proclaim like Amos, Habakkuk, Malachi, Micah, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that went silent. But in a sense, Israel had become reliant on that. It's like it almost was their their Advil, right? It's like, oh, like we're in pain now, we're suffering. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, God will send some food to help us, right? And then. <laughs> Up comes the shepherd Amos, and it's like, "Hey guys, we're fed, right?" Yeah, that just went. That just didn't happen anymore. So then they were looking around. They're going like, "What do we do?" <laughs> like, right? And they start developing all of these systems to try and get back to where they were, the glory days, if you will. Right. So is God silent now? Audibly, I think so. But he's not silent. Like, in terms of, like, the voice of the Lord speaking to someone and saying, Jed, go to Ottawa tomorrow at 6.30 a.m. to teach skating to these children. Yes, I believe he stopped doing that. (laughs) But you were saying just like how God isn't completely silent in the Old Testament. People still have the preserved Old Testament. Mm -hmm. God's not silent because this is preserved in front of us. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... Everything God needs to say to us, or would or we would ever need to hear from God, is preserved for us in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean anything beyond this, if 
talking hypotheticals, not to be heretical, but if God were to speak, I think he would just say, read Matthew 6, 13. <laughs> right? like, every time you ask something, like, hey, God, please, like, what about this? Like, uh, turn to Isaiah 13 and read verse 41. Or, like, I think, like, that's, like, what else is, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, I've given you what I need to give you, essentially. So Also in the West Translation, it says there's no new revelation. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Like, this is the revelation. We call, of course, in the in the confession of faith, the special revelation of God. So everything in regards to life and faith, the rule of life and faith, and anything necess- necessary for salvation is preserved in Scripture. The, the danger, I think, that we would fall into, and, and I think the danger we'll see in, 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 God, in, uh, in the time of John's Gospel, is that when God is doing those wondrous and miraculous things, like I think what happens naturally is pride for those who are hearing God's voice, and then two, uh, it would be like if I don't hear His voice, am I like not mm-hmm. valid anymore? Like, am I like, yeah. <laughs> am I like not one of the? You know what I mean? So I think those wonders and signs have ceased, so that people will appeal and uphold the will of God. And this is like this levels us all. It puts us all on the same level, right? Having the Word in our hands. Okay. Yeah, this testimonial of John, I think, really reveals to us just a couple things. Nothing new, but just fills in some holes that we needed. Uh, the work of his baptism in water is clearly here identified to us as being a precursor and forerunner of Christ's own baptism in the Spirit. Of course, uh, on a much lower, smaller, whatever adjective you want to use, scale um, of importance in preparing the way and preparing Christ's ministry, right, being the forerunner of that, but in, in everything that John is doing and saying, he is essentially just pointing to Christ who will fulfill these things in, in the infinite way, right, so his work of baptism is but in, like, a fraction of a fraction, decimal of a decimal, um, trailer, if you will, to the work of Christ, right? Absolutely, yeah, of course. Like, what would his work be yeah. without mm-hmm. Christ? So what confuses me is the greater language, mm-hmm. because it's not like this is less. Like, what? How do I understand that? Because I don't feel like it's on the same scale. It's, it's not on the same category. Like, yeah. So, what? How do I understand that? I think you understand it as one simply being an event that foreruns the other. Yeah. Right. So we use the greater language not to say like you know grander or lesser of importance. Um, I think they're both important, obviously part of God's providential uh, will and design in bringing like, the entire incarnation and the work of Christ. But John is functioning in a role um, that is clearly just meant to forerun the entire life and ministry of Christ. If that makes sense. And John is totally okay with that, right? And he wants people to know that, if anything. Right? Because he understands what, what are his final, he's already he said, behold the Lamb of God. What are his final, what's his final interpretation of Christ? He takes away the sin of the Right? And verse 34, I myself seen and have testified that this is whom? The Son of God. The Son of God. Okay, so we've gotten two titles now 
from the same person. He's a lamb of God who will take away sin, and he's a son of God uh, who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Right? So there must be an interconnectivity between these two things, um, and these titles must have certain meanings and understandings. Otherwise, John, you know, John like the Baptist and John the Baptist would just use one title, or at least, you know, I don't know, might just choose one, right? So we, how many titles of Christ do we know? <laughs> what? How many titles do we know? Like, how many, like, when you say, like, the Bible teaches, or I guess, a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot. there's like, there's a lot. son of man, right, of son of God, lamb of son God, of right? Lord. Yeah, like, there's just, like, all of these things, right? But um, as much as those terms are synonymous and interchangeable to some degree, I think they serve those titles, at least in their usage, um, as descriptors by the original speakers, that they are using these titles to identify certain aspects of Christ um, that are truthful and honest to his life and ministry and are emphasizing certain aspects of his life and ministry to us. So when he uses the Lamb of God language, he's clearly pointing towards, as Richard shared, uh, that image of the lamb, right? Um, and he's pointing to sacrificial, um, the sacrificial work of Christ's atonement uh, once for all, and that he is, of course, taking away our sin by doing so. And then the Son of God language to identify what? How is Son of God different from Lamb of God to you? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. that which yeah. sounds simple, but is really yeah. where I'm trying to draw your attention. Yeah. Um, like, what have we been told so far in John one about this person, this this Christ? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That there is a divine nature and a unique relationship. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right, the Word became flesh. So this person, the one that I have found that. You know, the, this one, right, who's baptized in the Holy Spirit is the Son of God, right, which is a slightly different nuanced declaration of the same Christ, right, where Lamb of God focuses on the atoning work of the Christ. The Son of God is really focusing on the divine nature of, the, of Christ uh, and his unique and special relationship with the Father as the second person of the Trinity. This is amazing stuff. Coming from just the first 34 verses of the entire Gospel of John. <laughs> like, it's incredible, right? That these authors, these men, had this level of understanding. I think Jet was really, like, right about talking about 
how using the title Son of God mm -hmm. gives divine authority. Mm -hmm. It says some manuscripts also use chosen one mm -hmm. instead of Son of God. Yeah, which, yeah. Like, to me, I don't know, that just reeks authority and yeah, power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like a uniqueness to him mm -hmm. as well. Definitely, it also goes in contrast to John's answer to Pharisees. Like, what is your authority to baptize? Oh. And he says, like, Wow, wow, Sasha, you're connecting all these dots, which is fantastic, right? Because a question the Pharisees might continuously have and will continue to say, by what authority do, we, do you do these things? And John the Baptist, John the author, are giving you the answer from the very beginning of verse 34. Well, it's the Son of God. He is, he is the authority, and the Son of God, it's his authority, and his unique relationship with the Father, right? The Lord's will is you know, obviously providentially carrying over this entire thing. Fascinating stuff. You see the Trinity here too. Like in oh, thank you. Thank you. I was hoping someone would bring that up. Where do you see this? Uh, right around the area that we were reading in. Like yes. from, uh, what is it? Uh, when John was saying like, I saw the uh, spirit, uh, sorry, the dove um, descending. Yes. No, spirit descending like a dove out of heaven and then yes. remain upon him, which is Christ. Yes. And then you obviously see like God, right? Or yeah, Lamb, Lamb of God, Spirit. And then the He who sent me. He who God. sent me, right. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. Right. So God is God the Father is the He who is sending. You have God the Spirit who is doing the inward work of regeneration. In other words, the turning away and cleansing of turning away of, from sin, right? Uh, the outcome of baptism in the Spirit. And then you have the Son of God, which of course we've already alluded to being the Lamb of God, who will do the atoning work on the cross on behalf of us. Right? So it's fantastic, Corey. I love that you caught that. The Trinitarian lingo contained within. How amazing is Scripture when you just pay a little close attention to what the authors are writing. Right? It doesn't explicitly tell us, of course, that hence this is the Trinity. <laughs> but I mean I mean it's amazing that we're getting this this language right so, uh, I used to disciple a Muslim guy um, and one of the questions he asked me was why do you pray to the Father ask for the Spirit and close in the name of Christ like when we pray as Christians right he's like that seems weird right because I would never you know he's like if I was addressing someone I would never do that you know, like I would never address three different persons in the same like wording right like the same message if you will right mm -hmm. and so that was like the greatest opportunity I ever had with this Muslim guy to share like the Trinitarian lens like this is the Trinity is incorporated in all that we do right? it is the lens by which we observe prayer like liturgy like worship um, our doxology scripture reading like everything it is there and it's present and it's constantly there right um and that's just like was that was a great opportunity to share with him right and if you take notice right in our worship services for example of course i would never say our worship service is like the perfect example of godly worship but in our services we try to have this fundamental element right that we understand that uh, there's a trinitarian lens to all that we do that's fantastic, Corey. 
think it's glasses. Something like that. Fantastic. Okay. And then we get into the really interesting stuff. Actually everything here was interesting, but this is this is really interesting, okay? To close this public ministry of the first converts, if you will. Um, I know your header might say that, like the first converts, but it's really like first called, like the first people that Jesus interacts with and like really calls them and for the first time in his ministry are becoming believers of this Son of God. Right? Again, the next day, it reads in verse 35, John was standing with two of his disciples. So who's John? John is this? Baptist. John the Baptist, right? So John the Baptist has disciples. Remember I told you last week in the historical rants that this discipleship thing was a thing, right? That rabbis had followers, so when the rabbi calls you, said you all must call me, you would follow no matter what, right? Um, it was it's such a repeatable, per, like it's such a person of authority and reputation that when they call you and, and they ask you to be their disciple, to like follow them, to eat with them, to sleep with them, to like be with them wherever they go and record the things that they're saying, like, etc. That was like an honor, like the honor of honors, right? So here's this, um, here's John, who also, being a rabbi, if you will, like a teacher, he has his own disciples, verse 36, he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, and he switches back here to the Lamb of God language. Um, <laughs> I just keep, when I read Gospel of John, like, I don't know if it's funny to you, but I when I got to verse 36 in my QT, I like I laughed out loud because I'm like, is this guy just standing around Galilee? And every time Jesus appears, he's like, behold, right? Like, if you're if you're Jesus, like I'm like, okay, okay, they get it, bro, they get it, okay. You know what I mean? Like, John, like they get it, chill, right? But he's just like standing, like behold, and he has like a trumpet or something. Is he just doing this like every time? Um, but the detail is incredible, right? <laughs> Two disciples looked at Jesus. He walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And then we see verse 37. So it's funny until then. And then I realized why he's doing this. Because verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and he followed Jesus. Him as in John the Baptist? John the Baptist, yeah. right? Wait, so where is John the Baptist living right now? And where is Jesus living? Well, Jesus and John the Baptist are, I mean, Jesus up from Nazareth. He is now traveling in the region of Galilee, right? Okay. And he's not stationary in one, in pla in one place, right? Okay. He is moving about in the region of Galilee. Um, and then same with John. John is a man of the wilderness. We, so, of course, we see um, in historical texts as well as in other synoptics that he lived, like, literally, like, in a cave somewhere. Like, he's just a man of the wilderness, right? So he's like Rebecca for the last four days. Like he's just <laughs> camping out with bugs and everything, mountain biking, kayaking across Galilee. Right. Well, I, so I, I thought John the Baptist was baptizing in Bethany across the Jordan. Yes, but at this point, Christ has come. His work is complete, if you will, in a sense, in preparing and declaring the Lord. His ministry is now. Like I mean, think about it. The guy you're waiting for has come. He's been revealed to you. I think your entire focus and attention would be on directing people to this person now, right? Yeah. And look at the function of John. He does this effectively. He says, behold the Lamb of God, and immediately in verse 37, of course, like, sequentially in the verses, it's immediate, but of course in time, like in actual time, a 
I'm sure it took more than Behold the Lamb of God for them to believe, right? Mm -hmm. But regardless, Behold the Lamb of God, disciples heard him speak, so some speech was some conversation ensued, or Jesus, you know, John said something, or Jesus said something, and they followed Jesus. Wait, what's their age difference? Between? John the Baptist and Jesus. That's your homework, actually. <laughs> this is a very good question. It's your homework. 30 okay. yeah. and... <laughs> A lot of people don't know this, but it's very, very, very obvious in Scripture how old they are. Yeah. Like, in terms of age difference. Okay. Read Luke and Matthew, the openings of those. Okay. Okay. Yeah, important to know that before this time, Jesus was probably still living with his mom, right? Right. Like age right. And we like see, like, like, in Mark and Matthew, guy. is it Mark and Matthew or Ma Mar Mark and Luke, where Jesus' mom is literally like, come yeah. home, come home, like, Stop yeah. doing weird things. Like, come on. And then <laughs> that's, that's when Jesus says the famous words. Like, who, are my, who is my mother? Who is my father? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? That's where you get that. Because Jesus' mom is like, Jesus, like, come on, right? And then the crowds are like, hey, your mom's calling you. That's literally what they say. They're like, hey, your mother is calling you. Your brother is calling you, and Jesus is like, who is my mother? I know. Who is my brother, right? Oh. These are my brothers. These oh, are my bro Like, geez. it's very interesting. Like, oh, that. Yeah. I wonder if his mom felt like, whoa. Oh, it probably hurt a little bit. <laughs> no, so I had this instance one time. Like, when I was a kid, my mom told me to come home to eat dinner, and I was like, who is my mother? <laughs> you know, I was just joking, but, like, I did say that, but, like, it was just a joke, but, like, you know, obviously I didn't know what it meant back then. I was just quoting scripture. <laughs> so then, so... I'm like confused about like the timeline. Um, okay. About when they met, ah. or like, or like, I'm confused. <laughs> well, you went through the Gospel of Mark. I went through Matthew and half of Mark. So the Gospel you want to go through is Luke. Okay. Go through Luke. You get a detailed genealogy. You get a detailed uh, story and narrative on Christ birth as well as John the Baptist's birth. Okay. It's a story that I think a lot of people actually are not aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they're not aware that John's birth was also miraculous. Like, it was a miraculous birth mm. as well. So go through that. Go through Jesus' birth, Luke, first few chapters, and all of this will be clarified for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's your homework. And then you report back next week. Oh, wow. Yeah. A whole, okay. We need two and a half minutes to report week. on Luke 1 and 2. Okay. <laughs> um, so, remarkable. So, what did we say? John's ministry is about pointing people to Christ. He's clearly doing so. He's found the Christ. He's been pointing people to the Christ he's found. Behold the Lamb of God. His own disciples are now following Jesus. And in verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, So... So when I read there, and then they followed him, I thought they meant like, you know, like spiritually, like they're now followers of Jesus, right? Followers of, like, how we, we declare, like, we are followers. Apparently, they were actually physically following Jesus. So yeah. Jesus like, yo, right? And he says to them, what do you want? Like, <laughs> what do you see? Now, it could seem like a weird thing for Jesus to say, but you have to consider what John is trying to teach us in his gospel. Remember how I told you there's an intention here? There's a thesis, John 20, 32-31. What do you seek? Why do you think that question is so important? Because the Christ that the Jews are looking for right now is the warrior that's going to 
you know, yes. give them independence. Yes. But and Jesus, the audience of John's Gospel is, of course, also Jewish mm-hmm. in nature. What else? But Jesus knows that his role is not to do that. Yes. But to free everyone from sin. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be um, a clear understanding of who Christ is, right? In order for that following, if you will, to be meaningful, like correct. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Okay, any other thoughts on this? The question of what do you see? Anyone? No? Okay, continuing. They said to him in response, which is a really weird response. Say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? This is so weird. (laughs) He turns to them, what do you seek? Where are you staying? Like, that's a very broken conversation here, okay, that's ensuing. Anyways, it is the conversation that ensues. He said to them, come and you will see. So the conversation just gets even weirder. Where are you staying? Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth. So again, we're just getting timestamps in John. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak. There's the answer. Um, Ari, you were asking who is speaking. John is speaking. And followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Ooh. And we know about Simon Peter, of course. Right? We know who Peter is. Right? Mm-hmm. And we're, given, we're told that one of those two were Andrew, who is Peter's brother. That's an incredible detail. Right? And... He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, who is Christ. Christ in Greek, Messiah is the Hebrew. What is, what is happening here in this narrative? Wait, there's Simon Peter and Simon, the same, they're the same person? Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> Look, what is happening here? major theme of John's gospel is what? Evangelism. Evangelism, witness of Christ. What's going on here? Jesus' ministry. Evangelism. Evangelism. Yeah. Like, Christ has been found. It's been revealed. Lamb of God, Son of God. And then all of a sudden, these men are just witnessing Christ. So, we have John telling his disciples one of his disciples, who's the brother of Simon, um, tells his own brother, Simon Peter, and what does he tell him? He doesn't tell him, um, there's this really great dude that we need to check out here, right? <laughs> what does he say? We have found, found the Messiah. Messiah. Yeah. That is a bold proclamation. Why is it bold? Why is it bold? Because to claim that a man is God. Yes, I don't think that we're there there no, yet, no. but this title to the Jews is uniquely, like, it's unique, right? It's special, right? It holds special meaning and it holds special, I guess, definition to them, 
right? So when Andrew is telling Simon, like, become a Messiah, right? It's not like just anybody, any Joe Schmo or any rabbi or anything. It's who is he saying they become? The king, the third yeah. king. Their so-called savior, mm-hmm. right? Been waiting this is two thousand years. Yeah, Abraham. they have been waiting, mm-hmm. and. This proclamation is not like just like a soft proclamation. This is like, this is huge. But what has Andrew heard or seen or anything so far? Like Jesus done nothing so far, right? Like he's been baptized. Like that's about it. And then you had John the Baptist going, "Behold, the Lamb of God!" Right? <laughs> he's done nothing, and he's saying, "This is the Messiah." Was Andrew John's disciple? Apparently so. Mm-hmm. He was one of the two disciples. Two disciples the in the one? sense that he was likely following John in his teachings. Who was the other one? No. We were not told. Oh, okay. Yeah. But we can also see that Andrew has tremendous trust for John. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because all John says is, oh, he's the right. Lamb of God. But, I mean, we're God. also told in verse 40 that John spoke. He heard John speak and followed him. And that other things... Like the whatever part, whatever was contained within that speech and those speaking, mm. uh, clearly compelled him to see this person as Christ, the Messiah. Which is like, like how do you go from <laughs> how do you go from this to that? You know, what I mean? it's, it's incredible. John is really testifying as this person being the Christ. Andrew is has come to believe. And then Andrew is then immediately turning to his own brother and going, yo, this is the Messiah. <laughs> like, we found the Messiah, right? Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. So not only is he telling him, he is physically bringing him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. There's a translation here. Cephas the Arabic or the Greek or Judaic? It means like rock, right? Um, so very different story from like, or I guess in detail, from what you're used to, right? Like the whole fishing mm-hmm. sequence, right? We don't get any of that. John's focus is the evangelism that is happening amongst these, these men, right? Whereas the other narratives are kind of recording the event of that evangelism. Right? Like the actual events that are occurring, right? Whereas here, we're getting how this message of the Christ and his coming is being proclaimed from person to person to person. And so Simon's name is now Cephas? Yeah. Okay. But in it just it's just another like language. It's like you have Arya, they probably have like a like a Cephas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's oh, like, yeah, okay. just giving them the teaching. Verse 43. Is that significant? Yeah. Is this significant? Well, Cephas, I believe it's Aramaic, and I believe it means rock. And of course, later, your Jesus tells him he's, he'll be the rock upon which the church will train. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a play on words there, I think. Oh, okay. He's the original rock. Like, Dwayne Johnson has nothing to do with Cephas. Dwayne Johnson stole Cephas, if you will. <laughs> but Dwayne Johnson looks more like a rock, I think. <laughs> Well, actually, I've never, Peter. Peter. I've never met Peter. I've never met Peter, but I mean, yeah, what if he was like I mean, if he was, what if, if he's <laughs> like Dwayne Johnson big and he's fishing, <laughs> I could see why it wasn't very effective, right? 
Probably lifted that thing. <laughs> 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 that guy can swing a sword, bro. Which one? That is true. <laughs> he just cut off a dude's ear. That is true. That is true. That is true. He'll kill us easily. Absolutely. Well, that is weird that they didn't include the you know fishing part. That's right. Because the focus of Mark, Luke, and John are like come and be fishers of men, right? Like that yeah, language yeah. is what's important to people. But what John is presenting for us is the proclamation of the coming of Christ um, from person to person. Mm-hmm. So you see how like you see how stories are written so different. Like this is not like journalism. This is not like a newspaper reporting for you like detailed like just record of what what, what happened. John, Mark, Matthew, Luke have a distinct way of telling their story that is truthful to what happened, but they write thematically, right? So, so that's why in the intro I, I told I alerted you to that that you will notice discrepancies and differences that could cause immediate alert for understanding how ancient writing happened. And I guess it also adds significance to like reading the other gospels. <coughs> yes, yes. 